It's time for a conversation with NFL Network's Charles Davis. Brought to you by Premier Golf Centers. Now with Charles Davis, here's Jason Puckett and the Gas Man. Are we rolling hour number two, Puckett and Gas, live from the Carter Volkswagen studio. We are so happy, so pleased to have Charles Davis from the NFL Network, also Fox Sports, joining us on a weekly basis here for the next several weeks as we, of course, lead up to the NFL Draft. We'll get some post-NFL Draft coverage we'll talk about uh, nfl offseason news i at some point will sprinkle in some golf because we will i'll uh, people will always wonder they ask me why is charles davis coming on weekly and sponsored by premier golf what people don't know is that charles has got an extensive background in golf we'll, we'll cover that and also we will leave every weekly conversation with a great 1980 movies clip because when we had uh, chuck and i had charles on uh, months ago we learned this man has a massive appetite for 80s movies and he and i have that we share that that love for the greatest decade of movies how are you charles everything good everything is great it's good to talk with you and uh happy springtime yes fall season has started draft obviously coming up basketball nba playoffs going on it's a great time of year this oh sorry guys this really is the best time of, of year yeah I was going to add the one thing I was going to add, uh, uh, Charles, is the uh, uh, the other thing that you know, people aren't aware that maybe you're a big golf guy, and then you're not yeah. aware that iHeartMedia is paying you in, in range tokens for this appearance. <laughs> okay. So it, it's you'll be, you'll be able to buff up your game. Well, they've seen my swing and they understand that I need those range tokens. Yeah. And, and need a lot more time out there. So it sounds to me like they're looking out for me, and I they, appreciate that. They are looking, yeah. Charles Davis joining us uh, here every single week at 11 o'clock, uh, brought to you by Premier Golf, 12 great locations across the Pacific Northwest. I go up to Inner Bay. That's where I get my my hosel game on is up at Inner Bay with a bucket of balls, a beer, and a burger. Uh, so great great locations across the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, because people don't know that about you, Charles. They, they see you on, on the coverage on the weekends, and they see you do college football games. And they also see you do your NFL draft coverage, and that's why we have you on here on a weekly basis. But you started off doing stuff with the PGA Tour. I think it was the Disney Classic back in the, like the late 90s. You put that tournament together. You're part of Fox coverage for the U.S. Open. You were out here back in 2015 when the U.S. Open was here at Chambers Bay. So golf's a big part of your, your background. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I've been very fortunate that way. It all started when I was working at Stanford as an assistant athletic director and the golf course and it's and all the things that went along with it came under my purview at that time and and uh, so I started to learn a lot about it and as you noted I became the tournament director for the Disney Golf Classic and did that for three years and then you know continued to dabble in it a little bit did some Golf Channel work five mm-hmm. years on a show called The Great Goose Nineteenth Hole along with Steve Dumig and hosts like Vince Cellini and uh, Kelly Tillman so we you know we had a great time during that time so yeah. I still enjoy watching the golf, and that was a great Masters we just had too. And yeah. I don't think anyone is getting that green jacket off of the, off of our winner. I think he's going to be in that green jacket. <laughs> he has worn it everywhere in two days. Yeah. I mean, he is having an absolute blast with it. And I I got to admit, I can't really blame him. I really can't blame him. I don't think I take it off either. Charles, we had a lot of talk about Patrick Reed up here, and whether or not there was kind of a two-pronged thing is he a villain is he a guy he doesn't fit in box in golf's normal box of how you describe right. a champ so villain maybe is too strong a word but to use it for a minute if he's a villain is that not good for the sport wouldn't golf be improved if there's kind of one guy 
wearing the black hat, being the villain that everybody's pointing at all the time, and and he's good enough that the only way he really becomes a villain is he's got to win a few more of these you know, major events and keep winning on the circuit. But is isn't that ultimately good for golf to have a guy like that, a galvanizing superstar? I think you're right, and I think that we've probably not looked at it quite that way because it is golf and it right. is you know a a gentleman's game. You know we're very genteel about that. But when Jack Nicholas was riding herd, he was a villain, okay? We didn't talk about him that way. People didn't look at him that way, but he was a villain because he was the guy people were shooting for, right? When Arnold Palmer was the king, you go back to Gene Sarris and whoever you want to trot out there, Bobby Jones was a villain even though, again, no way you ever use those words with Mr. Jones because he kept his amateur status, right? He never became a professional, which back then – being a professional was actually said with disdain, all right? Being a professional meant you didn't have enough bearing, you didn't have enough breeding, right? You didn't have enough money in order to stay amateur and stay pure. If you had to take money for being a professional athlete, then there was something really wrong with you. That meant your family just wasn't it. And that was, that's, that was where that whole thing began. Professionals were looked down upon. Well, obviously, you know, we've advanced well beyond that nowadays. But whoever's doing the winning, look, Tiger Woods is one of the best villains you ever had. Plus, Tiger had so much of an edge to him at that time that, again, still a gentleman's game. You could see that, that beautiful smile he would have after he won. But when it was time to get out there, those guys were shooting at him like crazy, even though a lot of them were intimidated. I mean, what's the, the, the famous story about Tiger when he was in his prime? And you remember the match play championships? Mm-hmm. He rolls out there, and I think it was Michael Campbell had drawn, you know, number 64. So he's going against number one to begin with. And he had some fun the week before and said, heck, yeah, I want Tiger Woods. Give me, I want a piece of Tiger. And he was just joking about it. And they roll out to the first tee, and they get introduced. Hey, number 64, Michael Campbell, and the best player in the world, Tiger Woods. And before they teed off, the Tiger leaned in close to him and said, I heard you wanted me. Now you've got me. <laughs> yeah, you always got to be careful what you <laughs> wish. Tiger went, yeah, and Tiger went out there and blew him away, you know, like, you know, six and seven or seven or whatever it was, seven and six or something, just crushed him. And so, <laughs> so you, as you said, be careful what you're wishing for. But, yeah, you're right. Black hats are a part of it. We just don't perceive them that way. Patrick Reed, probably as close to it as we've seen in a long time in golf because of his background. But what I keep telling everyone is to remember one thing with this. We're hearing really one side of things because Patrick is not talking about it. He's not talking about what, what forced him, what, he, what made him decide to stay away from his family. We don't know what really happened with him and his wife and his family. That's his family talking. So until I get both sides of that story fully, I don't perceive him quite that way. But then you add in what happened to Georgia, what happened at Augusta State. Yeah, he's got a little bit of villain to him, but I think he actually likes it. The man can do it all, from golf to 80s movies to the uh, the draft coming up uh, next week. All right, so, Charles, uh, it's a big, you know, I, I think in, in terms of anticipating the NFL draft, I think a lot of Seahawks fans around here are, I mean, I think they're excited about next week because this is uncharted, yeah. you know, territory for them. They haven't been in this position before where, like, this this year's draft is, is paramount, I think, for their future success, that, you know, they missed the playoffs. This is the first time under under Pete Carroll with a Russell Wilson-led quarterback. They have not made it to the postseason. They've got that first-round pick at number 18, but they don't have the coveted second-round picks or third-round picks. And you know John Schneider in your years of nope. covering this draft. That's what he wants. So 
I, I would assume because everyone out here believes that they will trade that first round pick. How how mm-hmm. how surprised would you be when you sit down on Thursday and your coverage on the NFL Network? How surprised would you be if they actually kept that number eighteen pick and made a selection? Well, I think what it would tell us, guys, is that if they keep the number eighteen, which I think they would love, as you mentioned, to get out of it and trade back and accumulate some more picks and, and pick more players. But let's say they do pick at 18. That would be a fun story to chase down and find out what John Schneider and Pete Carroll would say because I think if they're picking at 18, they didn't find a dance partner. Mm. And a lot of that depends on what swirls around them. See, the Cowboys are at 19. And a lot of people think that they are a prime team to maybe move up a few slots to ensure that they get a guy that they want. Because we're all kind of looking at the Cowboys right now, especially with Dez just getting cut and saying receiver. Okay? There aren't many big-time receivers projected in this draft. But we have to remember last year, for we, everybody went all in on receivers last year, didn't they? And the most valuable receiver started in the second round. Right. <laughs> I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster, right? Uh, Cooper Cup. You can just go right down the line. The first-round guys didn't give you the value that the people thought that they were going to get either due to injury or just not being productive. John Ross didn't catch a pass for Cincinnati last year, and they talked about moving him back over to defensive back, which he played somewhat at the University of Washington. So when you look at it that way, that's one thing. But I don't think the Cowboys need to move from 19 to 18 to make this happen. They have to move ahead of Seattle. So will there be action that goes around them where people don't need to move into Seattle's slot? Or will there be people that are available that want to come up? And it all depends. And I think that flurry of action will begin once we see how these quarterbacks come off the board early. Because I think if they come off where four of them go in the top ten, there may be a flurry of activity if someone really wants Lamar Jackson and may feel like they have to come up and get him and not sit and wait for him. And maybe that's where Seattle might get a phone call. We'll have to wait and see. Well, in Seattle, Charles comes in with, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a few names in the trade wins right now. I don't think any bigger than Earl Thomas, and that adds no. to the intrigue up here that that since a team calling about a draft day trade might also be inquiring as to the availability of, of, of maybe the best guy to play that position in the NFL, it, it makes it impossible to analyze what the Hawks are going to do because clearly they've always been a team that seeks out trade opportunities they're going to be sought after by other teams aren't they with Earl being kind of twisted in the wind a little bit yeah I think so I think that would definitely be something to discuss here's the thing to keep in mind and I'm sure you've probably covered it already I've called Earl Thomas the best eraser in the NFL and what I mean by that is whatever happens in front Earl makes it come out right in the back end in in most cases I still have that vision of him popping the ball out of Todd Gurley's hands in Los Angeles last year when Gurley's going in for a touchdown and Seattle wins the football game. So whatever happened in front, here comes the eraser because he can make the plays. He can range all the way deep, come up and make the, make the run stops you know, near the line of scrimmage. He can make the plays on the football. He can do everything you're looking for. But the one thing you're going to have to keep in mind now with Earl, veteran guy in the league, shoulder two years ago, the injuries last year that he had to try and play through, it's not the same guy that you've seen in terms of before. He had that per- almost perfect physical record, right? The last two years have been some breakdowns. Will that affect trade in terms of value numbers? It might with certain teams. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because, guys, look at the offseason. 
The safeties are all sitting at home going, what happened? Why is no one coming for us? Right? It wasn't just Eric Reed and kneeling guys. Kenny Vaccaro with the Saints. No one's picked him up so far, right? We can just go right down the line. So that's going to be interesting to watch and see how it progresses. Charles Davis joining us for his weekly visit on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline. Brought to you by Premier Golf. Twelve great locations across the Pacific Northwest. The... I, I guess there there are a number of needs that the, the the Seahawks desire in this draft. I mean, you know, we have a poll question up: Is it defensive line? Is it a wide receiver slash running back? Is it secondary help? Obviously, with Richard Sherman being gone, the idea, the thought they may trade Earl Thomas, the uncertainty. Charles with Cam Chancer looking at the Seahawks. Yeah. What do you think right now sh- should be their focus of attention as they approach this draft next week? Well, it's it's a twofold approach. Number one is for every team, you protect your number one asset, right? So let's 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 compare Seattle to the Bears right now. And the only reason I'm doing that is the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears member, moved from three to two. And when you look back on it, you just wonder could they have just stayed at three and still got the same guy? See, I think San Francisco ran a great con on him last year. Right. I thought John Lynch was masterful. But anyway, they go up there and they get Mitchell Trubisky. So he's your quarterback for the future. Offensive line needs a little bit of help. Kyle Long's had a couple of surgeries in the offseason. Mm-hmm. But if you get him back at the level he plays, that's a heck of a right guard. You move Cody Whitehair back to center where he should be, I think in one day he's going to be a pro ball, all pro center. Then if you draft Quentin Nelson, if somehow you can get Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame, now you're protecting your asset, correct? Mm-hmm. So with Russell Wilson, what have we talked about for years? How have they made it work for the last X number of years where we're taking a former basketball player and starting him at left tackle? <laughs> you know, this guy's coming over here. Justin Britt has played right tackle, right guard, and center, and I think he's at his best at playing center now. Can they get that line solidified? And is there another guy that can come in because maybe you're still looking at right side? Although I think that you get Dwayne Brown at left, you put Fant at right now, and then you get things taken care of in the middle, starting with Britt. I think they've got a better chance than they've had in a long time. So maybe that's not the focus. And don't forget, your head coach is a defensive guy. I know that he used to be an offensive coordinator. I know that way back when in his coaching career. But he's identified as a defensive guy. Sheldon Richardson just flew the coop after the big move last year to get it. That defensive front is going to need some help. No more Bennett. Averill, extremely doubtful. You get the idea. So when you put it all together there, you know, no Malik McDowell, it appears now. You're going to end up having a draft pick from last year that will maybe never play it down for Seattle. You're asking a lot, and most teams like to build from inside out. There's going to be some defensive linemen at that spot that I think will have the eye of Seattle. And that would be a great look for them. And don't forget as well, you continue to build with them. The secondary, as you mentioned, there will be a bunch of corners that will be available at that time as well, too. And with all those being great points and points well taken, the other thing to factor in is there are some new, strong personalities as assistant coaches in this town, a couple of them on the offensive side of the ball. Whether you let that person dictate is is certainly up for debate. It's Pete and John's show, obviously. Yeah. But but it's hard. Again, the Hawks are intriguing this year because who knows 
who's got the loudest voice in the draft room and who's saying, hey, I, you know, I came here because here's what I want to do. I don't know that they're necessarily going to look at the offensive line because they don't, you know, they seem to have addressed some of those things. Yep. But it's, it's, it's interesting to speculate with Schottenheimer here. How much weight will they give his voice if a terrific offensive player is available? And, and don't forget this, too. I say don't forget. You guys know it better than I do. They have gotten along with runners that you would not suspect would be your lead runners, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow Thomas Rawls emerged and looked like he was there for the long haul, turned out not to be. Chris Carson emerges as a seventh rounder last year. When you go back and look at his college days, he was a good player, but you, would you have ever predicted this guy would be a lead runner in the NFL as a rookie? Probably not, and he was that guy. Mike, Mike Davis comes in. They've tried to, to kind of jerry-rig it for a while. Well, we all know Saquon Barkley is the top player in the draft and by, by, by most people's accounts. Who's the second runner? Who's the third runner? And is that runner worthy of being a guy you would draft early and build around? Because as much as we say in the NFL, well, any guy can do it, this guy can do that, that's true to an extent. But when you had your best success in Seattle, right. Beast Mode was the guy. Yeah, is Geis, is, is Charles, he is, was running. Is, is Geis worth the 18th pick? Uh, um, I don't think so. I, I wouldn't go in that direction. Uh, you know, I, I would I, I would try and get him a little bit later. I think he's a good player, okay. but I don't know that I'm taking him in the first round and building that way. And maybe, that, maybe that's an example where they can trade back if they decide they like him and he's the guy that you're talking about there, Charles. They haven't really gotten that guy to replace Marshawn Lynch yet. That, that could be an obvious target to trade down to try and get. Yeah, and and, you know, I think what's going to be interesting about all of this is runners, I think, start in the second round. You know, I, I think that for most of the teams in the NFL, that's where you go. Because it's hard with the value of a running back, the shelf life of the running back, to, to be able Look. to spend a first-round pick, unless unless it's going to be Barkley. It's hard for, I think, teams to probably right. swallow and take that. Let me ask you quickly. before yeah, Real, real quick yeah. on the runners, though, just to cap it off because you're so right. People want to say, I can get a runner anytime. Right. And, and to an extent, that's true. I get all of that. But in recent years, it's been fashionable, again, if you really like a guy to go get him, and it's paid off. Gurley was, what, 11? I think he went 11 to the Rams, somewhere in the neighborhood, 10 or 11. Right? Zeke Elliott went at four. Leonard Fournette went at four last year. Christian McCaffrey went at eight. All of them had a big impact on their teams mm-hmm. as rookies. Okay, and continue to build on that. What about the year Gurley had last year? But to your point, the leading rusher in the NFL last year was a third rounder out of Toledo named Kareem Hunt. Right, right, exactly. Let me ask you real, real quick, and we'll probably dive into this more next week on the on the eve of the draft. Is is this a great with all the quarterbacks? And I get like they're all going to go in the top yeah. ten, but are they good? <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, are they just That's guys and teams need a quarterback? Or are these guys really good? Because if you ask me, I mean, I'm always biased towards the Pac-12 guys, so I like Sam Darnold. But, again, that's yeah. just me sitting on my couch with my hand down my pants and one hand on a beer. So, I mean, what do I know? <laughs> I don't know anything. But but I'll ask you. You're the expert. Are, is this a good class? I think it is a good class. I think what's happened with it is that, the draft goes this way for me, and I feel like it's been proven over time. When we turn the page to January, we have a pretty decent idea of who we think the top players are in the draft, and we're talking about them. Almost ad nauseum, correct? We hit a certain point in our run-up to the draft where we're like, I am sick of talking about those guys. 
who are the other guys and can they compete with them? And we start really pumping those guys up. Now we're what a week, you know, a little bit more than a week away from the draft. The needle starting to turn back to, Oh, you know something? The guys we liked at the beginning are really the best guys, aren't they? Mm-hmm. It works this way almost every time for the draft. So to your point with quarterbacks, we started out talking about Darnold Rosen, right? Mayfield, would he be that guy? Because remember, Mayfield before the season, people were talking about third, fourth round for him. It's a whole different ball game now, okay? Allen, what about this? We're still in the same spot with those guys. We're coming back full circle. I still think Darnold goes at the top. I think it's a good crop of quarterbacks, but I still will tell you, as a guy who's looked at them for a while, I liked Goff and Wentz better than anyone I like in this draft. And I liked Mariota and Winston better than any guy I liked in this draft. Okay. Now, other people will not see it that way, but that's how I see it. All right, Charles. Doesn't, we... mean, doesn't, mean, doesn't mean that they're bad quarterbacks. Just that I like those guys coming out potentially better than what I like with these guys here. But there's still a chance you're going to get a good quarterback out of this. All right, we, we're going to wrap up every uh, single every week. We're going to wrap up with a, with a funny a funny clip from the 1980s because you and I we we have an uh, we have an appreciation a love for 80s movies. So you're going to stay on the line. You can laugh in the background, but every single week we're going to play you a clip from a great 80s movie, and we deliver a classic from the 80s, Airplane. Wait a minute, I know you. You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We play basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm sorry, son, but you must have me confused with someone else. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm Nicole Powell. You are Kareem. I've seen you play. My dad's got season tickets. I think you should go back to your seat now, Joey. Right, Clarence? Oh, he's not bothering anyone. Let him stay here. All right, just remember, my name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. I think you're the greatest, but my dad says you don't work hard enough on defense. And he says that lots of times you don't even run down court. And that you don't really try, except during the playoffs. The hell I don't. Listen, I've been hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton and near up and down the court for 48 minutes. <laughs> there it is, the great, uh, the great airplane, oh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know what, Charles? There's so many other great clips from that movie so I want to play that, that our program director said you you can't play that one, this one, or that one. But uh, well, well, as as you go, uh, I just heard this one the other day. You may have heard it already. Okay. Do you know who, Do you know who first choice was for that role that Kareem played? No, who? No. Pete Rose. Really? But they filmed but they filmed the movie during baseball season. Yeah. Pete couldn't do the Pete couldn't do it, so they got Kareem instead. Oh, no. I just lo- I loved at the end when the plane was going down and they were pulling the pilots out of the thing when they yeah. passed out. Yeah. And all of a sudden Kareem's in his Lakers jersey yeah. Lakers yeah. uniform. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I, I mean but yeah, no disrespect to Rose, who I'm sure would have done the role justice. The line of the whole thing is you tell your old man to drag Walton and Lanier up the floor for 48 minutes every night. That that that, that, that was just the best. Accompanied by grabbing Absolutely. him. Right. And remember, remember, he looked around real quick to make sure, make sure uh, the other pilot wasn't looking, Peter Graves wasn't looking, and they pulled the kid up. <laughs> Charles, you're the best. I look forward to it. We look forward to it every single week. We'll have another great 80s movie clip for you uh, next week. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll chat next week. 
I look forward to it. Thanks for your time, guys. Take care. Yep. Charles Davis, NFL Network. He joins us every single Wednesday at 11 o'clock. Thanks to uh, my good friends, the great people at Premier Golf, 12 great locations across the Pacific Northwest. I want to piggyback on something in the NFL draft here. Um, How big is this for the Seahawks? And is it, can you make an argument, the biggest draft ever under Carolyn Schneider? We'll discuss next.